Sometimes my mistakes have been growing too fast. I've put business plans on paper in April and they're eight figures in December. About six months after that, the FTC kicked an investigation off for the sales company. So many rules around what you can say, what you can't say. I've put all my life into these. God said, you can trust your economy or you can trust my economy. You just need to pick one. Anything that prioritizes right now money at the expense of future reputation is a mistake. What would you say is the long-term most valuable thing a market or a business could do? If I watch something free and then I pay for something, the money... What up, well bidders? Today I've got somebody exciting on. I've wanted to interview this guy for a long time. I've been seeing his content, and he just told me he has given away $70 million of businesses. This dude just had a top-selling book called Wealthy Consultant, and he also is a Christian family guy, and he came all the way from Austin, I think. Nashville. Nashville, same thing, to come see me. It's the Vegas, the little brother of Vegas, right? Yeah. Don't they call it the Vegas of like the Southeast? I don't know what they say. They They're say all wrong though. They, they say something like that. But I got Taylor Welch. What's up, man? It's good to be here. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's exciting. I uh, I know that like you're big in the digital marketing space and consulting space. And for me, I always try and get guests that I just really want to pick their brain and learn from. So I'm excited for this interview, dude. Dude, it's going to be amazing. I can't yeah. wait. So... How long you been in the space, man? First client I ever took was 2014. 2014. I was, um, so I was on staff at a church. Okay. And um, toured around, led worship, got married. So you were a singer too. I was a singer, singer, did, producer, songwriter. You kind of look like now that I look at you, you kind of look, I wouldn't have guessed like a Christian worship singer, but like, yeah. uh, like a rock guy. Totally. Like CCM. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, and so anyways, we won't So that's how you ended up in Nashville then? No, actually, this was... Um, I was in Memphis, which is actually the grungy version of Nashville. It's like the the musicians in Memphis are different. Okay. They don't play based on the same rules. So I was in Memphis. Got it. A little it. bit of a rebel. My wife always wanted to live in Nashville. Got it. Um, so we moved to Nashville when we started the business. Got I it. I transitioned from the church world to real estate. No idea what I was doing. Uh, but like the bottom of real estate, property management. Mm. So my job was to sit in front of a... We're in Memphis. I was sitting in front of a uh, a bulletproof glass window to collect rent. And then people would come in and they would bargain with me. <laughs> like, fix my fix my blinds and I'll pay you rent. Like, wow. got it. We'll fix it for you. I learned sales here, actually. Like, if you can get somebody to give you their rent and leave yeah, uh, without shooting you, you killed then me. you're good. Like, yeah. And so I learned persuasion here and all of that. And I also learned real estate. So it was around all these wealthy people. Our investors would come in. We managed 6,000 houses. Wow. Did you know um, Kent Clothier and Memphis? Kent's dad that I worked for. Okay, that's what I figured. Yeah. They have freaking so many properties out there. Kent Senior, man. This like, yep. he'll he'll die working. And he just was always working. He taught me the basics of like, when what you learn in church, sadly, sometimes is like leadership is a different tier. They're removed and they're almost the elite. And then when when I got into real estate, Kent Senior was, he would come in and he would pick up trash out of the lobby. Wow. And then he would make me go out and pick it up with them. And I remember being like, this guy's really rich. He's at the top. He'd be like the senior pastor of this organization, but he's not in a green room. He's not being chauffeured around with like a, an armor bearer. He's just picking up trash. Wow. It's like maybe what I, what I thought was leadership is different. And so he started sort of teaching me that promoted from there into um, marketing because they needed someone to, uh, to design newsletters. 
And I was like, I know how to design newsletters. Never designed a newsletter in my life. <laughs> I was like, but I learned like my secret to advancement was like, okay, I'm, you'll never advance past the things that you feel too good to do. Mm. Say yes all the time. Okay. Like I'd had no entitlement. There was nothing that I wasn't going to you know, fail at. Mm-hmm. So I would volunteer to show up early. I would volunteer to do this. And eventually they put me in marketing. It's like, oh, you're really good at, at this. You have a knack for it. Sounds like these two guys right here. Yeah. Just yep. Natural. Yeah. You know? And then from there, it was over. Like as soon as I was in marketing for like a month, I was like, dude, forget real estate. This is all dumb. I'm going to make, <laughs> I'm going to make way more money on my own. Cause I was making twice the amount of money on weekends that I was full time. Doing marketing. Doing marketing for other mm. clients. Wow. Yeah. So with marketing, I mean, you were just making newsletters and, and all this stuff. Um, at that time, I mean, we're talking like 2014, right? Yeah. So yeah. Social media was, I mean, it was around, but it wasn't like this big thing yet where you were just doing traditional like email marketing. Emails. I was training myself how to write copy. Okay. The way I was, I was doing that is copying. I copied probably four or 500 sales letters by hand, like old sales letters. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Carbo, Eugene Schwartz, all OBB stuff. And through doing this, I got really good at writing. So mm-hmm. I started writing emails for people and you know, HubSpot. Yep. HubSpot was a, um, to work HubSpot, you had to code. This was way back in the day. You had to know like HTML and CSS. And so I taught myself how to code so that I could work HubSpot. And people just started um, finding me through like connections. I remember I made a post in Facebook in a Facebook group. And uh, I just said, hey, look, I'm a copywriter. I can write your copy. And it went, it went like viral in, mm. in all the wrong ways. Like people were like, basically, you suck at copy. I can't <laughs> even understand what you're saying. I was like, I'm going to physically die. Uh, this is awful. <laughs> I came home one day and my wife, Lindsay, she's like, what happened to you at work? I was like, I don't want to talk about it. But one person booked a call with me and he was like, I like your style. Let's, uh, let's do this. What do you want to do? And I said, I'll write you 10 sales letters, write you 10 VSLs. It's like, what's the price? 400 bucks. <laughs> okay. And he was like, all right, I'm down. I said, okay, I'll call you tomorrow. <laughs> he said, take them. I'm ready now. But I had never, ever closed a deal before. Got it. It was my very first deal. So he walked me through how to set up a PayPal account. and Like, yeah. for real, no joke. Yeah. And I was like, you like, just closed me. Accept the payment. It's like, okay, cool. Six months after that, I had a waiting list of like a year long. Wow. And I thought it was normal. This was like... Your price was too low. Price was too low. And yeah. And I slowly raised them up and um, met Chris, started the consultancy. Um, and people just started asking me over Messenger, like, how do you have a waiting list? Like, you're just a... You've not, where have you, where'd you come from? Like, doesn't everyone have a waiting list? It's like just a basic thing. And they're <laughs> like, they're like, no. And so I started teaching it and that's how traffic and funnels got started. Mm. And traffic and funnels was like my first, that was like my first business ever. But that's when I was starting to teach people, here's how you kind of do the client game, the way that I do the client game. And then, which you, you know, just didn't know what you're doing. No idea. It just was a thing, which is a secret sometimes. Cause if you don't know how everyone else does it and you figure out another way and you codify it, you've created something brand new. That's how I feel about my career to this point. Yeah. Because like you, I came not from a business background. I came from sports and <laughs> you came from worship <laughs> and yeah. like, uh, you know, you just go into this and you're like, I, I don't know, like, I'm just going to try and figure it out. And yeah. everything I ever do, anytime like a digital marketer sees it, they're like, why would you do that? That makes no sense. Yeah. How is that working? Yeah. I'm like, like, I don't know. It Tell is. Me. Like, I don't know. We make money, but yeah. did, what, how would you improve it? 
Yeah. Like I want to, I do want to improve it, but then sometimes I'll look at it and I'm like, nah, that way sucks. Like I'm going to just roll with this. Yeah. Yeah. But it's more fun that way. Yeah. Everything's like, everything's an adventure. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Because like in the marketing world, everything's just constantly being tested. It's Mm -hmm. not like anyone really has it figured out. That's what I think anyways. Everybody, I think I was saying this about, um, Dan at the event yesterday. Fleischman? Uh, Martel. Oh, Dan Martel. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy. When you look at, when you look at guys like you and Dan and, uh, Alex and just the people who have like, everybody thinks they have it put together. Yeah. But what we really are is we've like, we've just, we've mastered the fundamentals and then we just make stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) And it just works because we know the fundamentals. So I forget who said it's like, um, learn the rules so you can break them. Mm. It's the same thing. Like. Once you get to a certain point where you're healthy and philosophically you're sound and you have the right base, then you're just making stuff up, testing it. And the market will tell you what works and what doesn't, Mm. you know, but there's nothing as cool. Like we're doing this thing right now with the wealthy consultant Yep, where we're doing a weekly lecture. I'm like, dude, forget webinars. Webinars are stupid. We're done with that. We're going to call it a lecture. It's going to be 60 minutes long and we have worksheets and everything and it's working. Yeah. Nothing's as cool as when you take something to market and it works and you're like, told you guys invented something brand new. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm going to own New York city before I'm done. Like the high of that is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. You're watching this show. My guess is you're probably an entrepreneur who's trying to grow your business. And for me, the best thing I ever did to grow my business was build my personal brand on social media. It's allowed me to get more revenue. It's allowed me to raise more capital and it's allowed me to hire better talent. And if you are not currently creating content for your brand, you're missing out and your competition is. So if you want to learn to grow, my advice is to create a podcast. Now there's a lot that goes into building a podcast and why I believe it's the best way. So I've actually created a free training that I want you to go check out. If you go to panadamedia.com slash podcast, you can go access the free training right now and see how a podcast is going to be the best decision to grow your personal brand today. So go check it out by clicking the link below and I'll see you in the training. We're somewhat running this whole new model right now. And so it's cool, like just to see. So the workshops? Yeah, we're doing this workshops every month now. Nice. But we're doing a challenge also every month. Nice. And that workshop is being run virtually in that studio, like with its own virtual audience and a live audience. And yeah, I mean, not many people are like going to be running this type of production every no. single month. No. And, um, you know, so it's uncharted territory because no one's doing it. But like logically to me, based on experience and fundamentals, I'm like, there's no reason this doesn't work. Like it's worked in isolation, you know, many, many times. Because so You know, the rules behind it work. Yeah. So you might as well test to both of them at the same time. Yeah. How's your book doing? It's good. We've had it. Um, it's about to hit a year next month. It's crazy. And so, yeah, it's been a bestseller. And um, honestly, I didn't even like write it with much uh, intention to like use it as like a funnel or like to try and go get it on New York Times or any of that stuff. Like I just yeah. put it out there because I thought it was beneficial. You want to help people? Yeah. And with even everything we're doing with all of our wealthy brands and stuff, like once again, that was all testing. It was never like, oh, this is the big picture plan of how all this ties. I'm like, no, like that one thing worked. And then that was cool. And that was, oh, well, we should probably like make all this other stuff within the same ecosystem. And it just kind of like slowly becomes a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it works. What is the big vision now? (laughs) You're going to write another book? 
Yeah. We're actually, um, I'm almost done with the next book. What's it called? Well, it's up for debate. We'll see. Um, Let's decide right now. Well, here's the reason why. I was going to self-publish again, okay. but now I'm going to go the traditional route. Oh, wow. Just to make it bigger? To test. Okay. I've never done it because I've, I've self-published too. And I've had multiple people I've interviewed that have been, you know, New York Times people. And, you know, somebody challenged me and he was like, hey, why don't you go traditional? And I go, I don't really want to like deal with all that and wait and like, I can just publish it right now. Yeah. And they're like, well, you know, you could get more credibility. I'm like, I don't care about that. And they're like, you'd also get a big advance. I'm like, what's the advance going to be like, you know, a hundred thousand or something like Dude, you could probably get like 250 to 500 grand. I was like, all right, that's not insignificant. Tell me more. And so he tells me, and then he's like, and if we get you into like Costco and Target and other things, you're selling six figures of books. And I was like, all right, that's worth like actually seeing how it goes. And they're like, but you get no royalties on the back end. I'm like, I don't really care about that. Right. If I get distribution, that's all I care about. I don't care about the royalties. So you'll have to run that through the publisher for final say on yeah so like even though like the first version is done um you know we'll see like how it evolves once we go that route but uh essentially the follow-up is you know how to build a business yeah you know yeah we're gonna do we'll we'll release three next year three wow yeah Yeah. so we just did the wealthy consultant we have the excellent experience which drops in january it's about uh client service and retention Okay. Because we like one of the things about having like 5,000 clients is you figure out real quick, like how to, um, how to lose clients. There's so many of them coming in. You can't keep track of everything. And so we had to build all of our systems basically to handle volume. So we're using, um, we're using technology on the back end to track like a SaaS would on clients. So like messages sent on platforms, average daily users, average daily time spent on platforms. So there's, there's scores for everything. So we're going to teach that in that book. Um, Cause if right now it's like, dude, if, if you can keep clients on a solid retention, yeah, you don't have to get new clients. And the, the, the biggest cost to a business is client acquisition. New clients dude. Yeah. Or, or client acquisition and team turnover, team turnover. Yeah. yeah. Those two are like neck and neck, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we're going to do one next year on sales as well. Okay. And then I'm going to tell a lot of the story on the, challenges of the last two years called dancing with the devil mm. there's a great story by um winston churchill after he wins the war for like the, the whole world he comes back home and they kick him out of office they force him out of office mm. uh they're done with him and he goes home and his wife clementine is like it's probably an, an opportunity like you need a rest and uh it's a blessing in disguise you know and he goes if this is a if this is a opportunity it's a well disguised it's really well disguised and it's this famous story of life. Most, the most amazing things that happen to you are usually very well-disguised opportunities that seem like failure, betrayal, catastrophe. And so this book is basically a set of principles and frameworks to help you deal with and keep perspective in the middle. So we're going to call it Dancing with the Devil because this is what life is like sometimes. Yeah. Is just surviving till the next season. Yeah. You know? You know... I did a presentation and we'll talk about, you know, what you've had to go through the last year. Um, I did a presentation at my last event, WealthCon, where I talked about, hey, like the last 12 months have been the hardest 12 months in my business career for many reasons. Um, you know, one was 
I had to shut down multiple businesses. I, mm. you know, ended up or I ended different partnerships. I had to get rid of, you know, employee turnover of people who'd worked with me for a long time. You know, so like on the relationship side and the ego yeah. side, tough yeah. there, right? Yeah. On the money side, you know, the real estate market turned. And so I lost millions of dollars on deals. Um, you know, you deal with the cash flow crunch of that. You yeah. deal with just all these different things happening simultaneously within 12 months. And my wife was pregnant. And so like you, yeah, you factor dude. all these things in. And for me, I didn't realize I was going through all of it at that time. Cause I'm just like, look, a problem is a problem. I don't really see it that I'm just like, solve it. Let's fix it. I'm very unemotional about it. But as I was making this presentation for the event, I started to just write down everything. I was like, dang, it's a big list. <laughs> yeah, I'm a failure. Like I <laughs> failed at a lot of things. But then like the the end result of it was. All right. But what ended up happening after that? And my conclusion was that, you know what? Sometimes God has to prune you in order to prepare you for the next stage. And so I looked at all of the capacity that I, you know, was taking up with all these other things. And then you remove those things. Yeah. And then now you have freed up capacity to take on, you know, these new things, which are far better. And that's essentially what happened is a lot of pruning. And also too, just perspective of like, up oh, this problem now today, that ain't nothing compared to this. I mean, dude, that's the story of the whole Bible is people being taken past their capacity until they can't do it without God's support. Yeah. And that's how actually faith is built is you have to go through things that you have. Like you're, you seem like a really talented person. Your brain probably works really well. You're a student and you have this sharpness that gives you the ability to deal with problems. I would say that that's true of you. It's true of me. But what happens when we're put into a position where no amount of mental acuity, no amount of good luck, no amount of any of it will solve the problem. Well, you're Moses in front of the Red Sea. Yeah. And you're Joshua. At that, that's the point where faith is built. And a lot of times people's faith is small because they don't have any problems. Mm. Why? How, you're not going to have faith unless you have to use it. Yeah. And so people want more faith, but they don't want the situation that, that would build it. Creates the faith. Yeah. In the first place. So we end up getting to the end of our lives. Weak Christians. We have no faith. We have no power because we avoided the jail cell and we avoided everything you see like in the new Testament, everything people go through to build that faith and that dependency. Mm. This is all it is. Yeah. You know? I love it. You know, it's funny. Got people, we talk about this in Bible study that, uh, you know, it's like, people are like, man, you know, I want more responsibility. Yeah. I want, I want to follow God's will. Yeah. And it's like, do you really? Cause you know, more responsibility Ain't all it's cracked up to be. You know, yeah, what if yeah. God's will for you is not anything to do with what you want to do? Do yeah. you really want to follow it? Yeah. And most don't. They want the um, they want the accolades of it, but they don't want to do it. They don't, don't do the work. Being hidden is really hard. Yeah. But that's why, like, it's a really good book. I'll try to remember the name of this later and send it to you, but it's about the first 30 years of Jesus's life and being hidden in obscurity mm. and how the foundations of his ministry was actually built by nobody knowing who he was mm. and everybody wants to spotlight everybody wants the stage. But if you get to the stage prematurely, it's not your time. Those ruin the stage. Mm. So I learned leadership through Kent picking up trash in the lobby. I was like, Oh, that's like a, that's like a Jesus thing. Uh, not doing the fun stuff, but doing the, the stuff that 
nobody really wants to do. Yeah. The responsibility only leads to more notoriety after years of doing it in secret. Yeah. You know? And I, for me anyways, I now being, I'm 34. How old are you? 34. Oh, freaking Same there we age. go. Dude, the only thing we're lacking is I wasn't a worship singer. My wife plays the keys. Nice. But even, we have worship at every event. Yeah. And they don't let me join the team. Oh, really? For? Yeah, at WealthCon. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So uh, my buddy, actually, Jordan Felice, he lives in Nashville. And nice. um, he came and sang. And Bro, let's put it. a crew together. Bro, you want to be on the wealthy worship team? I'll do it. I'll you. bring like, dude, I play with all of the coolest people in Nashville. Let's do it. Like two, three times a month. Okay. So. We got Erwin um, McManus uh, leading. Legend. Uh, yeah. And I had Tim Ross, the other one. Legend. Yep. Nice. So. Well, when's the next one? January 8th to the 11th. This okay. is an ad. Wealthcon.org. Shameless plug. Yep. No claims. No income claims. Just you will come. not get rich. Okay. But uh, your soul will get filled. There you go. I Dude, can, we should, we should schedule it out for sometime this year. So yeah. Let's bring a crew. Let's do it. So WealthCon's coming back to Vegas, January 8th to the 11th. Now, if you've been to our events, you know how epic they are. We have the best time, not only with just great content, great speakers, but we have a lot of fun with the after parties and the masterminds and everything else. And number one, it's the, probably the best networking opportunity in the entire game. We have over a thousand investors and entrepreneurs at each one, and this will be no different. In fact, this is gonna be my favorite WealthCon ever. We've got some amazing speakers coming, people like Tim Tebow, Thatch Nguyen, Gabrielle Lyon, the list goes on. It is going to be an epic event, and I wanna see you there. So if you're interested in attending, get your tickets now because they will not last. Go to wealthcon.org and get them today. Everyone knows that my favorite way to build wealth is through real estate investing. That's the reason that I started Wealthy Investor, where we've trained thousands of students. But here's the thing. I've noticed that so many people fail to get started in real estate because they're worried about the money. They don't know where they're going to get the money to buy a house or flip or handle their renovations and things like that. And so they just never get started. I want to change that. And that's why I created a brand new free course that goes over five different ways that you could buy houses without using any of your own money today. And I'm going to give you it completely for free. All you have to do is go to wealthyinvestor.com slash podcast. I've made it specifically for you. The moment you go to that link, you'll be able to go get access to it and learn how you could start buying houses today without any of your own money. And if you're somebody who already has a real estate business and who wants to scale, we want to help you too. You can click the link below and book a free strategy call with our team if that's you. I did not know you're a worship singer. That's my dream. I don't sing as much anymore. I just play. What do you so, play? Guitar? Keyboard. Oh, your keys too. Yeah. Well, we already yeah. have that filled. That's we'll my wife. We'll just do two. Like that's what yeah, happens when two. you get big. Yeah, we'll have two. Yeah, you just get two players. Okay. Yeah. That's surplus. Gotta, we've prayed I, for that. You know, thing. I told my wife, I was like, look, we went to the Mav City concert yeah. and he was with, Kirk, or they were with Kirk Franklin. Yeah. I'd never seen Kirk like live. And I was like, wait a minute, Kirk doesn't even sing. And talks. yeah, they were like, yeah, he just runs around and talks and dances and like just hypes people up. That's you. I know. That's what I said. Yeah. I was like, I do that already. There's hope. He's like the gospel legend. Yeah. I could do that. Dude, those He's guys just are a leader. Chandler and um, like we've, they've done songs that we've written through the church. In oh, wow. Nashville. So like Firm Foundation is Cody. Yeah. And Chandler does that. So the whole crew, man, do an event in Nashville. And then we'll just fill up an arena. Nashville's the one place that like literally I haven't really been and experienced, but so many of my guests are from Nashville. Yeah. Then I'm like, why does everyone live in Nashville? And then like, I just had a bunch of people 
are like, no, dude, if you're ever in Nashville, like, let's do a podcast and this. Like, there's uh, so many. It's crazy. It's blowing up. Yeah. But we have like, so we, we build vacation condos downtown. And so you got back in real estate. I got back into real estate. And, um, dude, it's like the, the, the metrics you see like in the country. And then you have like a couple of these pockets that seem to just be like unfazed by them. Nashville will be one of them. Short term rentals is getting hit everywhere. But, um, our places are like right now next to downtown Nashville and they're just booked all the time. That's awesome. even right now. Wow. Which is amazing. Yeah. But it's blowing up. A lot of people moving there. I'm pretty sure they call Nashville like the Vegas of something. The Vegas of the South. So, whoever's in the comments. What do they call it? They call it the, yeah, the I've never heard Maybe that. Maybe they call it mini believing. Vegas. Somebody look it up. But I, I, or I'm crazy. So have you been? Nope. You've never been? Nope. Why don't we schedule something? We should. Yeah. We'll, we'll get put it on an event. Yeah. My, um, so we have a thing called Wealthy Kingdom. And we're in the process of turning into a nonprofit. And it started because I've been holding Bible study in my office for six years. So nice. it's just been every week, consistent yeah. for six years. And I would get people on social media like, hey, can I join the Bible study virtually? And I'm like, no, <laughs> because there's just, you know, there's uh, sensitive things that people talk about. Yeah. And um, finally, this year, I was like, you know what? I have the skills to go build this everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, let's just launch it nationwide. And so we launched and now we have 50 Bible studies nationwide. We have a Nashville chapter. Nice. And um, Did you do that with Pete or is that just you? No, I was with Pete last week, too. But uh, that's just me. So okay. Pete has his thing with Wellspring. Yeah. And that's more so for, um, you know, wealthy Christian entrepreneurs. This is just for anyone, right? Nice. Even if you're not Christian. Because you're, you're not a classist. <laughs> He's got a break. Just kidding, Pete. Pete. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, for me anyways, I, I just, you know, it's, you don't have to be Christian. Anyone can show up. Yeah. Um, but the reason I brought that up is because our leader um, who leads our Monday calls. His name's Maddie Montgomery. He also was in um, music. So he was, um, <laughs> he was in a Christian metal band. And I'm like, I don't even Whoa. know how that exists. But like Screamo? Yeah. No way. That's yeah, dude. Awesome, dude. Yep. So that's what he did for many, many years. And uh, it's funny because when I first brought him, a couple of people knew him. Like, dude, you got Maddie? I'm like, w- when did Christian metal like be a thing? So we have to have like one of everything. Like under oath was huge for a while. Remember them? Like the, that was a Christian. Yeah. I think his, his man, I forget what his is called. I think for today for today. I okay. think so. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he's in Johnson city. Okay. Tennessee. Cool. And so they're, I think like four hours from Nashville. So he keeps telling me I need to come out to the church. Cause, um, we did a lot of stuff to help buy the church that they're in. Nice. And then, um, a bunch of my friends moved to Nashville too, from Vegas. Nice. It's a good place. It's interesting, like right now, how more and more people are interested in um in Christianity and spirituality in general. Like, there's a lot of awareness that seems to be coming into the marketplace. Yeah, and I've I've actually talked a lot about this. Where like I feel like the next wave of like revival, if that's what you want to call it, is actually gonna be the business. Owners. I agree. Yeah, and nothing against churches. It's you know I grew up in in church world. Yeah, it's just like man, I'll never forget sometime uh, in 2018, 2017 somebody was on a client call with me and they asked if they could stay after. Mm. And I said, sure. And they were like, so I got into this program just cause I wanted to, to ask you one question. I was like, okay, you paid a lot of money. Just to ask me one question. You don't want anything else in the program. And he's like, yeah, just, I need to, I need to figure this out. I said, okay. And he said, I was raised Christian, 
but I am not anymore. And I need to know like why you believe in God after you've already gotten rich. Mm. I was like, well, this is an interesting question. Um, Cause it appears somewhere along the way, like the Christian theology doctrine has conflicted and people now have this belief that to be a Christian means you need to be poor. Mm-hmm. It's like poverty is almost elevated. And they all use that one thing where it's like the love of money is the root of all evil, yeah, which is yeah. like, you know, it just gets all twisted. Mm-hmm. And so Mark I was, I've I I just explained yeah. this to him. I was like, it's, it's, uh, yeah, Solomon was really rich. And so was David. And yeah. like, so we're all, all Solomon of them. was the richest. Like, yeah, exactly. The richest in the world. Yeah. And then you see in the new Testament, like they're building businesses to fund the ministry. Paul was like, Paul's maker. making tents. Yep. So it's like your theology is a little twisted just in that, like God wants you to be, but not like a lot of scripture is like, here's how to handle your wealth. Yeah. And here's how to deal with surplus. They talk about and, money more than any other subject in the Bible. Right. How do we miss that? It's just kind of a twisted thing. Yeah. Where, and I think it comes from a lot of different areas. Control might be one of them. Well, um, I think it also comes from maybe abuse prior with, you know, these uh, prosperity teachers and things like that. Cause yeah. I was, I was actually talking cause I'll tell you like, as we've built out wealthy kingdom, um, you know, I knew going into it, I was going to take a lot of criticism because I talk about making money. Like that's just the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're like, Oh, you're going to use this to make money. I'm like, no, I'm just going to make it a nonprofit. I don't care. It's actually like a downgrade for me. Like, yeah, there's no way to monetize this. It yeah. is. It's just what it is. Yeah. And, um, they're like, Oh, well, you know, what, what about this and that? And like, you know, and then like, I even talked to pastors and pastors like, so are you trying to replace the church? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to get all these market guys who would never come to church. What a weird question though. I didn't know it would be a thing that it would be like maybe seen as competition. So I was like, no, like I'm going to get all these people that would have never come to church in the first place because they don't feel like they belong. They don't have any friends. They don't have whatever. Right. But they'll come to this because they have commonality with these entrepreneurs and business people. And they want to know why they believe what they believe. Just like that guy was asking you. Right. And it's not this elite thing. Not everyone's. Some people will be rich. Some people will just be getting started. Yeah. Totally fine. But we'll yeah. share commonality in that. Hey, we have faith. Yeah. Or we're seeking faith. Yeah. And from there, guess what will happen? There's going to be a group of people who are going to church and they're going to end up funneling into yeah. the local church. Yeah. And so that's the plan. I'm going to have a thousand Bible studies worldwide and we're going to just freaking funnel all these people in a local church. And guess what happens? Those end up being their biggest tithers. They end up transforming their businesses and leading their employees. Yeah. So let's talk about trials. You know, you, you talked about this book that you're writing that's detailing kind of like the last 12 months. And you and I have talked about it privately a bit, but it's something that um, not a lot of people have dealt with and, you know, probably don't wish upon anybody. But you want to talk about it? Yeah. Um, there's not, there, there doesn't seem to be a ton of source material because people don't like to share. The negative. They don't like it. Yeah. It feels weird. You know, it feels bad. But I realized like going through all of this, I was like, you know, the number one risk that we have is when we hit a bump, feeling like there's something wrong with us for hitting a bump. Because that's what creates the insecurity and the toxicity. So like, I think it's one of my things of like, let's get more people talking about the actual journey rather than just the the highlight reel. Because when there's, when there's an artificial limitation on what content is out there, people begin to feel really abnormal if their life is not crushing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I hit that. I mean, I had like, I think in, in every 
we have like these 10 year cycles. This is just the theory I have. Okay. It's like in, in every 10 years, you're going to have four years of, of kind of just like average. You'll have three years that are amazing. And you'll have three years that are trying to kill you. Mm. Um, and what happened with me is I got everything clustered towards the beginning. So like all my wins are at the beginning. <laughs> and then I got my pain clustered at the end. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had this, we had this portfolio of, of businesses. Uh, we were one of the first like centralized, like Cardone has done this forever, but we centralized everything in one place. We had 150 staff working out of one building. Mm, we're in at, Nashville. In Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. Did beautiful 15,000 square feet. Um, I was upstairs looking at your uh, sales pits and I was like, oh man, this is, I remember this. this we, had, days. we had like 50 salespeople just like, you know, yeah. beating each other up in, in these pits. And um, it got so crazy so fast. Um, and then my daughter was born. 2019 okay. was my first. Okay. And uh, I was like, you know. My son was born in 19 too. We're same the year. same, dude. We're the same, dude. We're the same. I'm, Wait, on, I'm on worship, pro ball player. And we're, yeah, same thing. They yeah, both don't get basically. paid. Basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be interesting to try to run the business and be a dad and all that. Um, and dude, somewhere around 2021, uh, I w- took my daughter to uh, a restaurant that she loves, Cracker Barrel. Yeah. Like our, the greatest restaurant in the South, in the South dude. It's yeah. like our favorite place. And uh, she wouldn't talk to me, wouldn't have a conversation with me. You, you hear all these stories of like people when they're old, they wish they could go back and relive their moments. And their regret is not that they didn't get big enough. Their regret is oftentimes that they didn't pay attention. And I was mm-hmm. like, I think I'm actually in this, in this trap right now. Um, Cause she's three at the time. And she's like, I'm a, she looks at me and she says, I'm offended with you. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is real. Uh, I won't ride bikes with her. I didn't take her into the restaurant. We went to the drive through you know, different, just a three-year-old's brain. She's like, daddy doesn't care about me. Mm. And um, I had a conversation with Lindsay about it. And I was like, I think some things need to change. And I need to learn how to kind of uh, work all of this at the same time. Long story short, it kicked off a series of events where I started stepping out of the business and you don't realize how much concentration risk you have until you step out of something. And that's what, that was like my first signal. Like when you step out of something, does the company, does the organization continue to revolve or does it stop? And so it just kind of kicked off a series of events where things had to be rebuilt because a lot of it was built just around my brand, my name, my ideas. And, um, you know, it was wonderful companies, but it was concentrated around me. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately, dude, I, I went through a process of like, I'm just not going to, um, I'm not going to go back in. Like there are things that I want to do. There are things that I don't want to die before I get them done. And, uh, I'm going to have to figure out how to step away and put somebody else in place. Mm -hmm. So we did that. And, um, I'm actually going to, I'm doing an event tomorrow to talk about this, but about six months after that, um, the FTC kicked an investigation off for the sales company. You got to think about we came out of nowhere. I started in traffic and funnels was 2015. And then from 2018 to 2021, 120,000 customers. Wow. Paid customers, 4,000 clients. Um, you know, we hired from start to end 700 staff and it's just nuts. And we had to basically go through a process of explaining everything that happened and everything that we did. And that was, I got a masterclass in compliance. All of this happened at the same time where my income went down, the companies really kind of stopped working because I didn't have solid replacement leadership in place. 
And like you, I had all of these things going. I think nine LLCs at one point. And all of them were, were working until they're not working. And then you have nine different things that are pulling on your attention. And so the last year and a half has been me cleaning up, making sure that um, you know the old is wrapped up. I couldn't even close down the, the LLCs. Everything just got blocked. Yeah, everything just got blocked. You yeah. Know? Like you can't dissolve anything. You have to keep it going. And what people don't, I think oftentimes realize what I didn't realize is the FTC doesn't know. Uh, they don't know this world. They're learning it. And so they're wonderful. Like, honestly, the nicest people. Um, nobody says that. But, <laughs> but they were super kind and super nice. And they're just doing their job. Yeah. But there's so many rules around what you can say, what you can't say, how, um, how marketing is disseminated into the market. And so basically, I went through all of this work to give away businesses. Not because I did not want them, but because I felt like it was costing me in other areas of my life. I was walking on the beach in uh, Florida and I'm like, we just got our valuations back in the business. There's $72 million valuations combined with everything, not including the real estate. This is just the training companies. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I'm like, but things need to be fixed. I'm going to go back in and fix them. I feel like I was like, no, you're going to give them away and we're going to build something new. And I said, absolutely not. I was like, that has, show me that in the Bible. You (laughs) You know, you're just arguing with it. And so I can't do that. Like I'm, I've put all my life into these and like, I like it. And like, I'll just reorganize how I run them so I can be home with the family. And, um, God said, you can trust your economy or you can trust my economy and you just need to pick one. Mm. Okay. I'll give them away. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine. But I talked to my wife, like we have this, this thing where if I feel like I hear something from God, I want her to hear it from God too. And, confirmation yep 100 and she before i could even finish it she's like i already i was waiting on this she had already she already knew she already knew but she didn't want to tell me because she didn't want to to trip it off you know yeah she didn't want to be the bearer of bad news 100 so i was like okay we went through it so i'll go all through this work to give something away that's precious to me and finally go through the season of like it's hard but i'm gonna do it okay we finally did it we signed the paperwork i'm moving on and then, you know, the letter comes in the mail. You can't move on. Mm. You got to go back in and basically finish out another year of being in the companies, but not really. So you can go through. So it was more, more than anything else. It was actually hard for like my heart to go back into it because you do all the work and you work yourself up and you leave and then you got to go back mm-hmm. and be around it. So it was this whiplash, you know? Yeah. So that was tough. And then going through anything with the government is also tough. Yeah. And so just learning all of that. Um, at one point, you know, they wanted all of our call recordings, 700,000 call recordings. <laughs> I was like, how do I do this? So we actually built a system. We're going to put two full-time VAs. We're going to have them go through our CRM and all they're going to do is download call recordings full-time 40 hours a week. Then the problem with that is it would take them 12 years to yeah. get through all 700,000 calls. They wanted all of our ads there's 45,000 ads, <laughs> individual ads. Yeah. Like nobody thinks about like, when you build an operation even like this, it's like people do not know when they see you on YouTube, how many plates are spinning. Oh yeah. Nobody knows. And then you pull it all together. You're like, wow, we were really big and we have a lot of stuff. Yeah. And so it was, I put together a full-time team just to get them materials. <laughs> an FTC team. It's an FTC, like a, a Navy SEALs team. You know? <laughs> And so we go through it. We got them everything that they wanted. 
Yeah. Um, and we're like, you know, a couple of weeks away from the finish line. And now I know how to, you know, my, all my new companies were removed from that, which is awesome. It's like a huge blessing. Yeah. Um, but they were like a hundred percent compliant now, That's like amazing. in everything front end, back end, everything in between. And when you're in the middle of it, though, you feel like you're going to die. Yeah. And that's how I felt. It got the worst where it's like, you know, I may not be able to make money anymore. Like, what do I do? I'm running contingency plans in my head of like, do I get a job? Wow. I'm not allowed to market. Because sometimes you like, get Like, what banned. else do I know? Yeah, you'll get banned from an industry. Yeah. And I was like, literally talking to my wife like, okay, well, I could do some trading. Like the weirdest conversations <laughs> where you're just like, what? Like, yeah. you know, cause the new businesses are cruising. They're doing amazing. But if they should turn all of that off, like, what do you do? Yeah. Cause you don't know what they're going to end up doing. No idea. Yeah. So but I learned in that. It's like, we're not actually, humans are not actually afraid of bad things. We're afraid of things we don't know. Yes. We can handle something if we know it's bad. Yeah. Hey, this is, it's this is unknown. what's going to happen here. Prepare. Yeah. Tighten up pucker up and just get through it it's the unknown that you lose your mind because then you have all of this mental game war gaming happening in your head it's burning energy 24 7 around the clock can't sleep can't sleep and so the trauma that kind of got into my body even where it's like even i would work through it i would be fine go to bed wake up the next morning i'm gonna lose everything and mm -hmm. it's like coming from my body it's like trauma in the body so i had to do a lot of work just to work through that was there a point where you just decided you're like, you know what? Even if I do lose everything, it's all good. Yeah. It was like the end of February. My son was born in February. Mm. So now we have two kids and my son was born. And I realized one day, it was like a Saturday afternoon. I was just thinking that the only thing I have to really worry about is if they come to my physical house and they take me outside and cut my head off in front of my kids. Mm. Or if I go to jail or uh, even that you're like, whatever you're, if they, if they literally kill me in front of my family, that's it. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. Anything else you can sort of roll with it, but it's this weird, like uh epiphany of like, as long as I'm alive, I've got my mind, I've got my experiences. I got my lessons. Yeah. You know, we're good. And then in the hindsight, dude, it's never as it's like, it's not even a big deal. It's like, they're, they're basically like, Hey, don't lie. Tell the truth. Don't exaggerate and yeah. sign to promise us that you will. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. You know, um, it's the people who it's in society. It's really the people who have no conscience that have no worries. And the people who like are like us and we really care about other people. We tend to have the most uh, easy trips for anxiety because we care a lot. Mm hmm. But the, the the folks they're going after are the ones who are actually, you know, criminals. <laughs> legit psychopaths. They're legit psychopaths. They don't feel a shred of remorse yeah. on anything. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was just the it was the greatest learning lesson because you can't go to college and be like, send me everything. Like, give me a diploma on compliance. No. And nobody talks about it. No. Really? Well, so. I'll share my story with compliance. So, you know, it's funny that this is because we've had just so many different commonalities. And uh, Kent Clothier, not senior, but junior was junior. here. And he spoke at one of my events in July. Nice. And he starts talking about compliance too. And I, I don't know if it was on the show or not, but he talked about how he was in the grocery business and he built it to like a billion dollars. It was crazy. Yeah. And 
he uh lost it all right lost yeah. it all in legal battles he's like i would wish that on nobody like what i had to go through legal battle wise and then he started talking about ftc stuff later on in his career with real estate and he's like yes yeah, so, you know i didn't even know i was being investigated and they didn't like some things i was doing and so he had to do this and he was like ryan you don't have an ftc lawyer i was like dude i'm new like i, di- I didn't know i needed one like yeah. this is not you know, common knowledge. Yeah. I'm not over here trying to be non-compliant or do bad things or yeah, anything. Like, of course, I didn't know that you needed that. He's like, yeah. yeah, let me give you my guy. So he gives me his guy. And, um, I also get a reference of this guy from somebody else. I'm like, and so anytime like you, anytime I get like confirmation and signs, I'm like, all right, let Pay me call this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, so I call this guy and you know, we hire him and I say, Hey, just review everything that we're doing. And like, just tell me where I'm screwing up and what I don't know. And essentially he was like, yeah, income claims. Like it's everyone's problem in your industry. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And you know, essentially it just comes down to like, man, you literally cannot promise anything or even imply that somebody could make anything. Right. And even then he was like, I'm like, so how do I even say what I've done? And he's like, you got to even be careful with that. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I've done what I've done. What do you want me to just like not tell people what I've done? He's yeah. like, well, it could give the false impression that, you yeah. know, they they could do it too. Or, or maybe they're not going to be you, but they could be a level below. Right. And I'm like, this is crazy. <laughs> wild. This is crazy. Like how strict and, you know, everything it is. You're, you're safe with the wealthy because wealthy is not easily defined. Yeah. So anything that's like defined, you have to like really go into like proof points and substantiation. Mm-hmm. Um, like the big three, the big three is is income, performance, and lifestyle. So has has he trained you on this? Or Not yet. About? It was like the, the income the was triangle. the main one. Income is like yeah, make making somebody believe that they can make a certain amount of money. Lifestyle is like if all of your stuff is in front of like a Lamborghini and a <laughs> penthouse. Yeah. It's basically a net impression. Net impression runs the whole thing. It's like making somebody believe that they're going to have a mansion if they buy your book. Got it. Um, and then performance is where you see the um, the FDA teams up with the FTC because performance, it would be in performance enhancement. You're going to lose weight, have better sex, do, uh, do stuff that's not substantiated. That's medically. not like really in, I guess, the real estate niche. That'd be in like the fitness niche. Or, it's more fitness. Yeah. yeah. So real estate, we have income, income. and uh, lifestyle. Yeah. as well because now the, the movement sort of is like you know cool car big house yeah and so even with that we we went through and stripped all that out yeah um and we don't really share like like pictures of my houses and stuff you know yeah. kind of keep that dl yeah for the most part yeah, yeah i've i've learned a lot about it and i was like okay so what about this guy and that guy guys who've been around a long time i'm like they do that they do that yeah. he's like i would advise them not to do it it doesn't matter yeah they're going to look for the gatekeepers. So like the people who have the biggest opening up of like data on the back end as well. Mm. And that's kind of part of how the targets are set. I think the key is just not getting to the place where you're living in fear. Cause then if you're afraid of it, you're attracting it. Yeah. That's where people get a little bit, a little bit off where they're like, I'm going to optimize everything in my business to just not be a target. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you should just go work at Walmart, man. Like <laughs> you're a target period. Yeah. Like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But when you get super afraid, you're just putting this, it's like the the energy into the world, it's faith for the wrong thing and they're attracting that in. Yeah. But really, they're good. I think they're good people for the most part. They just want to make sure people don't get taken advantage of. Yeah. I'm probably unique in that 
and that view because I don't think a lot of people share that view. But that was my experience. I'm like, I can only share like you can see they're trying to like do the 100%, right thing. They're not mean. They're just they just want to make sure that we're not actual criminals. Yeah, you know? which I'm like, okay, I applaud that. Like when you go to the FTC or, or when you go to the airport and you see like TSA, mm-hmm. the people who are mean to TSA, I'm like, you're an idiot. She's <laughs> just a loser. Yeah, because like they're just doing a job trying yeah. to keep us from being blown up in the sky. Yeah, know? yeah. So, Why are you patting me down? Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. But I I think the healthy thing about the last year and a half is I don't know if you have any of this or if you wrestle with any of this, but if you win too fast and too soon and it didn't cost you something, sometimes the the vulnerability you create is the did I get lucky? Mm. There's insecurity there. Um, and the last year and a half removed that for me. So like my insecurity is like dropped to the floor because mm. I'm like, you know, it doesn't, there's no, but nobody gave me anything. Like I was able to build a new brand under duress while investigated. Like, yeah, if you can do that, uh, you know, this nothing's going to really touch me mm-hmm. again, unless they drag me out of my house and cut my head off in front of my kids. That's it. That's where that's I draw the line. You like, have one dude, fear. That's where I draw the line, man. That's not okay. Yeah. Uh, but insecurity really, I think it can be tested out of you through failure. Yeah. It's like, how do you remove fear? Sometimes you remove fear by experiencing what you're afraid of. Yep. And realizing, oh, it didn't kill me. Mm-hmm. What's there to be afraid of? Yeah. It's exposure therapy, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I would not say I had success quick, even though people would maybe think that that's the case. Because for me, I mean, I spent the first 27 years of my life pursuing baseball. Mm. And I never made it, you know. You know, yeah, I'd made it further than most people, but didn't make it to what I wanted to do. Got released many times, got traded, lived in all these crappy cities, rode bus rides and motels and all this stuff. And, you know, you at some point look back in hindsight before, you know, now seeing the big picture, but you're like, man, was that even worth all that? You know? Yeah. And you see like all the struggle and problems and things you had to deal with. And, um, you know, it hardens you for the next thing. Right. Yeah. And I agree with you though. There are a lot of people who never really are, uh, I would say forged in fire. Mm -hmm. And so you see people who get lucky. Right. And I would say like, the easiest example of this would be people who um, hit it big in crypto when it was big, right? <laughs> they had no skill whatsoever. They just happened to buy, you know, coins and boom, they yeah. got rich. Yeah. But you never really had to go through anything. Um, and I have people who have DM me that stuff before where they're like, dude, I lost it all. You know, I was up a hundred grand. Or, like my life's over. I'm like, no, dude, you, you never had anything to begin with. Yeah. You know, like. You just had to give back what you didn't earn. Yeah, you didn't earn it. This topic called um, Mithridatism, and it comes from uh, like vaccine research. Okay, and I've been doing a lot about this too, or research on this. The vaccine, yeah. Stuff. Well, vaccine and health and everything. Yeah, yeah. Mithridatism is basically that you can build a, an inoculation against something by experiencing that thing in small enough doses, so it doesn't kill you. Yeah, and um, if you study like anti fragility and uh, any of like the, the black swan science or around investing. It's, it's this idea where it's like, look, if you, if you really want to overcome the fear of failure, you have to fail in enough small doses. That so it's like, this you. is you, like you, you went through 27 years of experiencing perceived failure. And now you're like, well, I'm not really afraid of it. It's just kind of like, yeah, it is what it is. But the same thing happens everywhere. Like, have you ever lost a client? 
Mm-hmm. We experience that and then you build up an inoculation against it and you fix it. We we're like literally flying over here and I'm like, you know, it's amazing how many people died trying to figure out how to not crash a plane. <laughs> and like, man, I'm grateful for those people because only through the, the, the micro sacrifice do we have macro protection. Mm. It's the same thing with business. If you've never lost money as an investor, you're probably not a great investor. And I understand you're too what, fearful. Yeah. And what are you, what are you doing? You yeah. know, like I understand the Warren Buffett approach, but then you actually uncover the times Buffett's lost money. Yeah. He's lost. I mean, everybody's lost money. He's Mr. Datism. You have to go through this literal scientific process of experiencing negativity to build positivity. Yeah. You know, you know, for me, that's one thing I've had to go through, um, you know, in the last year, right? Like when things are good, everyone loves you. Right. Yep. And a lot of times when things are good, it's not even like things that are necessarily in your control. The market's good. Yeah. You get all the stimulus and all the stuff, right? And then yeah. uh, something changes, right? The market changes. This happens. That happens. And industry shifts. And then, you know, things aren't good. Yep. And you're to blame, right? And, you know, you see this happen with hedge fund managers or with a business or with... I mean, like I even saw it happen with YouTubers and stuff with like FTX and all that, right? Oh, like yeah. they go from being loved to being hated. And so I've had my own experiences with that, with companies that didn't work out and, you know, everything else, right? And at first you're like, dude, man, like this sucks. Like I'm not used to failing in this way. Yeah, I can accept my own failure. You know, if I lose money on my own thing or that, like I don't care. Uh, I'll bounce back. But when others are mad at you, like it's a different feeling, right? And yeah. then also too, as a Christian, it becomes this whole other thing where you're like, man, dude, like, not all, like I can accept if people don't like me. But now if it's a reflection on faith and it steers somebody away because this didn't work out, um, that's hard for me to deal with. But then at the other side of it, as like I've now come to grips with it and everything. I'm like, all right, I'm 34. Do I think this is the last time this is going to happen? Nope. Uh, this is going to happen again in some form or another. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, I just keep thinking about it and I'm like, yeah, like at what point, why would I think that all of a sudden any kind of identity would change? Or like, you know, we, we were talking about Paul was a tent maker before he's a tent maker. He was killing Christians. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. They're very different. Yeah. And, you know, you look at David sleeping around and killing people because to hide his sin. And I'm like, yeah, I haven't done any of that stuff. You know? Yeah. We're talking about a business didn't work or an investment didn't work the way we thought. And it's like, yeah, I don't know that. It's just this weird thing that I've I've like been learning to come to grips with of like, yeah, you're just you just won't you won't be perfect. You won't make all the right moves. And guess what? That's yeah. where you get tested. Sometimes I think too to to point on that point is the opportunity cost to reach the right people is dealing with the wrong people. Mm. So the opportunity cost for having influence with the people that you're called to have influence with are that the people you're not called to are not gonna like you. Mm. That's Jesus too. Like that's like You'll never reach the people you're supposed to if you're worried about winning the approval of all the people who you're not actually called to. Because mm-hmm. then you just bland yourself out completely. Yeah. It's almost like a cost that you have to pay. I don't think you'll ever get like comfortable with paying it. You're always, it's always going to be a cost. 
Yeah. But it now, now has a meaning. There's utility in it. What we don't like is we don't like things with no utility. Like this person doesn't like me because I made a mistake or whatever. But there's a utility there when you're like, okay, this had to happen to make me, I, I have this interesting definition of regret. You want to okay. hear it? Yeah. Because everyone has these regrets that they think back when they look at, like I would have done this different. I would have done that different. But regret to me is doing exactly what I was supposed to do to become exactly who I was supposed to become. Mm. So if you if you take all your regrets and you erase them, what good things disappear from your life now? Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't met your wife. Maybe you don't have your kids. I wouldn't have the business. Yeah. It's like okay, well, regret is actually not something to be shamed. If you feel shame about your past, you'll always feel anxiety about your future. Mm. So we can remove that shame. We also remove the anxiety, and then it just redefines everything along right. the way. You know. Yeah, it just goes. It's like the butterfly effect. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Leverage. Yeah. I um. People have asked that, like, what would you have did different, you know, back when you got started or anything? I'd be like, I don't know. My life's pretty dope. I wouldn't have changed anything. No, because everything else would have changed. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. yeah, Like, why would I have changed it? And, you know, people would be like, okay, but, you know, what was a mistake? And I'm like, all right, well, you want to know a mistake I made and how I learned from it and how it, you know, impacted better decisions. Then, okay, cool. Let's talk about just dumb things I've done over the years. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. What are some dumb things you've done? I built a I built a really big business off the back of a PDF one time. <laughs> uh, it's a bit concentration risk there. Um, there's like tons of things. I think that your your decision making algorithm is tuned by your good decisions and your bad decisions. Okay. So, uh, and there have been times like I've hired the wrong people. Then I've hired the wrong people and left them there once I realized they were the wrong people. Mm, that's um, dumb. I've built compensation I've that only after uh, like doing it. And I'm like, I got to stop doing that. But it's hard, right? Cause yeah. like in the middle, you justify yeah. why you brought them in in the first place. Um, I've built comp models around the wrong things. Like people do, this is Charlie Munger stuff. If you study like, um, uh, like just the rules of incentivization, if you incentivize to it, people are going to see what they're incentivized to see. So I've built comp models the wrong way where people make bad decisions. Um, I've done this in, in, many different industries, many different businesses. Sometimes my mistakes have been growing too fast. Yeah. And that sounds like a cop out, but when you grow things is like, I've, I've put business plans on paper in April and they're eight figures in December. Mm -hmm. And there's whiplash that comes from that. And I think like anything that, that prioritizes right now money at the expense of future reputation is a, is, is a mistake. Yeah. Um, so now one of the ways that I'm correcting is we're building things slow. We're super slow right now. The new brand is a year and a half old. It's only doing four or five million a year. And uh, what it will turn into, like I'd rather have the foundations to get to nine figures safely than race to multi eight figures and then it unwinds. Yeah. And I learned that through the old companies, mm-hmm. you know. So, so what, what what's the new company doing? It's training experts okay. on how to build. So I call it the Codex. Um, we train them how to build products how to build uh, acquisition systems that come from products and how to put together teams on the back end. Got it. So it's a bunch of models and frameworks. Like my goal right now is to be um, less on client acquisition side and more collegiate level. Like I, I built this business in, in part for like somebody like my dad. So my dad was the VP of sales at Allstate. Yeah. For 25 years. So he, he managed, um, I told him one day I had a conversation with him. I was like, our sales team's getting big. I got like 50 people. We're crushing it. 
He's like, how many people do you think I managed at Allstate? I was like, I don't know. He's like 7,200 people. I was like, 7,200 salespeople worked for him underneath. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Teach me some things, you know. <laughs> but you got this brilliant guy who comes from corporate America and he's trying to replace an income of like 200 grand a year. And the, the, the thing is intelligence in one area doesn't translate to confidence in another. And so I built this company primarily to help folks with genuine expertise get into their own entrepreneurial pursuits. Yeah. And scale them in a healthy way. Because mm-hmm. I think people, there's a, there's a crowd for people who want to grind 60 hours a week and work weekends and, and be crazy. And then there's, there's another crowd of people who like, they got kids and families and they want to build a really good business, Yeah, but do it inside of a parameter that's normal. Yeah. And so all of our models run on efficiencies, um, the way we run customer acquisition, the way we run sales pages. So we really duplicate all those models into a person's business. Mm. We can go through any of those you want. Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds a lot, um, you know, like what Hormozy has been building his brand around, right? Like, all right, we're going to talk about making great offers, right? And then we're going to talk about customer acquisition. I'm sure his next thing is going to be about sales and retention and Mm -hmm. satisfaction and all those things, right? Yeah. Um, But obviously with him, the way he's doing is like, hey, I'll make books and then I just want to buy you. There's no in-between. Yeah. And you're saying, hey, look, we'll be the in-between. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I like the in between. I like, I like, um, like when you guys started, you probably bought a course. Many. I bought many courses. I've hired many consultants. I mean, I've paid so the, lots and lots of money. That middle tranche is really important. And like, and I agree it, with you, by the way. The Hormoses will go down as case studies for a really long time. Um, I've known Alex and Layla for a while. And when you look at what Alex is and Layla, what they're doing for us, they're like redefining the way that like business content is distributed on the internet. Like, but I think for me, I'm like, okay, well, I want to, I want to build muscle memory into the market. And what I mean by that is like, if, if I watch something free and then I pay for something, the muscle memory that I'm building when I'm giving someone money means I'm going to give them more money. Mm-hmm. So the money transfer is an energy transfer. And so I want to create that middle market for people who are like, they're going to buy uh, the level of material that they need to get them to the next level. And then if it works, they just keep on paying and keep on moving forward. There's something unique that happens with an individual. When we pay for something. Yeah. We don't pay for it. You don't take it serious. We don't feel it, you know? And so I think there's a massive tranche in the middle. Somebody said you, you pay attention when you pay. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So when there's, it's like what, this goes back to the Bible. Um, David says like, I'm not going to give you something that costs me nothing. It was when he was like the, the servant was trying to give the land to him and he wants to make the sacrifice. Have you read this? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it's got to cost me something. Yeah. There's this beautiful principle, even like our reticular activating system only gives us three things. Yeah. Everything else is filtered out. The first is what is meaningful to us. The second is something that we have decided is novel or unique. And the third is a threat. And so when we take the, the RAS and we program it, the reason we pay attention when we pay something is because when there's something extracted from us, it hits both. It's meaningful because we paid for it and it's a threat. Yeah. It's doubling up on, on that. So it, you change your mindset when you actually extract money from something. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. hundred percent. You know, like we, there's literally a workshop going on right now while we're filming this, right? Yeah. So people have paid to be at that workshop. And I always ask this at every single event, right? So like this event is like how to find your first deal, right? So I said, how many of you guys have never done a deal? Majority of the room has never done a deal, right? I'm like, how many of you guys have followed me for many years, right? Oh, yeah, dude, we love it. I'm like, why haven't you done a deal? 
You know, like yeah. I, I give free game. There's lots. Of, I've written books. Yeah. There's I've I, there's so many resources for you to do a deal. And they're like, well, you know, there, you know, there's all the same reasons of yep. I don't have confidence. I don't really know what, to, what. How do you not know what to do? The information's free. It's out there. Right. Yeah. I don't you know, I lack community and train. And it's like at the end of the day. Right. They're just that you have no skin in the game when you're just watching a video. No. And so you have no incentive to take action. But the moment you pay for something, you're like, look, I need all of a sudden this thing clicks that, hey, I got to get an ROI. Yeah. I just paid for something. Yeah. hundred percent. And Alex is doing this on his portfolio as well. So it's just for his brand that he's not doing it. But when you talk about customers, everything's running. What do you customers. mean? He's doing it on his portfolio. Businesses that he owns, there are customers coming through. Oh yeah, they all pay. Obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. um, But the model is is unique in that um, the brand is driving. So it's like with me, and it sounds like a little bit with you as well. Your brand is is really helping run some of the the front face of of the company. Yeah, it's similar to Cardone. They're they're intertwined a little bit. Yep. But I'm like, man, I got. I'll sell you something. (laughs) I will sell you something something. every day. Like, what do you want to buy? Yeah, exactly. Hormozis. I have nothing to sell you. I'm like, I have everything to sell you. Get ready for that. Well, but, you know, I mean, here's the thing, right? Because even uh, we just did a content workshop uh, before this a uh, couple of days ago. And people are like, yeah, but like, at what point do you start selling and all this stuff? You know, I heard you shouldn't sell. And, you know, guys like Alex say you shouldn't sell and just give value, give value. And I'm like, look, dude, if I sold a company for $50 million, I would still sell, number one. But number two, you at least have the option, though, if you don't want to sell. Like you could go either way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you guys don't have money. You have to sell and make money or you can't even make content. You don't have the budget. You got to get an ROI. Yeah. And I'm like, you think Alex just all of a sudden was never selling? No, he sold his entire life to get to the point and earn the right to be able to make content for free and spend all this money to not sell, but also to build a business model that still allows him to make a ton of money even without quote unquote selling. Yeah. Have you had Layla on the show? Um, yeah, her and Alex. They're amazing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They've awesome. spoken at the event too. They've nice. done a great job. Um, but you know, it's just, just this interesting thing. Cause like the, when you brought up what you're doing, I'm like, that feels a big need because their content is so good and mm-hmm. it's so great. And you obviously can get the books and the, the videos and everything. But like, as you know, that's usually not enough for most people. Yeah. I would guess that 90 plus percent of people who read their books and watch their content still do nothing with it. Yeah. That just is the reality of how people are. And you have the environment, which I love you're doing this. Yeah. Cause you've got people. So we have 22 events on the calendar next year. Okay. For the brands. It's like, man, when you come to, you pay and you get the environment, it's even next level. Oh, it's next level. It's the it energy changes you. Transference is, is, yeah. is insane. And that's why I'm like, man, I wish they would sell because dude i would i'd buy i'd be like hey what do you like what are we gonna thankfully you know i can ask them questions and so i have uh people like you and them and whoever else where it's like you know i don't necessarily need to go the route of like the things normal people have to do i guess yeah um i'll go direct to the source but if they had something in between yeah there would be people that would be mad they'd be like oh these sellouts but i'd be like no actually they're helping way more people now because there's people who just would need whatever it is but from their perspective i get it it's not even really worth their time it's not the brand they want to build they would rather make people give them equity and you know have skin in the game themselves and build it 
There's also a zigzag happening. It's like when when market dynamics go one way, if you can go the right way, you just instantly stand out. Yeah. When everyone's selling something and when you're not, that's boom, you know. Now, as the market shifts, which it will, then you're going to be unique at some point because you're selling something. <laughs> it's not 100 grand. You know, you're selling something low. So we have products from a dollar to 2,500 and we sell two to three K a product a month. And it's when people interact with that, you know, I, what's your cheapest products that you have? Um, beyond free. I mean, cause we have like a ton of free lead yeah. magnets and everything. I would say like the book, the, the book, book you so know, it's like 10 bucks when you can move, when you can move like 10,000 of those a month and then somebody else is trying to compete with you and they're not selling the book, but they're selling a, a really high price thing. You just, you, you're zagging in the middle. There's these tiers as well. It's like when you show up in the market, the way that nobody else does, it's e- your, your ad costs go down, your CACs go down, everything goes down. I think that's partially what the, the model is for them is it's like, everyone's doing this. Let's do this. And as the market shifts, you probably watch them mm-hmm. balance out a little bit more. Do you think that they could shift back into selling? Yeah. Okay. I think Alex could shift in anything. Yeah. He'll create the narrative to be able he to. He knows how to. Yeah. He knows how to play it. He, he knows. He knows copywriting. Yeah. He's a great copywriter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a thing I've seen with so many marketers over the years is. um, First off, I didn't even know what copywriting was until years ago, a couple of years ago, really. I was like, copywriting? What do you mean? Like freaking. Government. Yeah. Like uh, the, the little logo thing. Yeah. And they're like, no, like writing copy. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And <laughs> like, dude, like, you know, ads and stuff. Like, why didn't you just say that? Yeah, I can make an ad. Yeah. And um, eventually I learned, I was like, oh, there's these guys like Dan Kennedy and whoever else. Like, oh, okay, I get it. Oh, those like super long landing pages have a name. They're called sales letters. Oh, yeah. And people read them. Yeah. I'm like, who takes the time to read that long freaking page? Yeah. And they're like, you'd be surprised how many how much money these guys make writing those things. And they're like, you're a good copywriter too. And I'm like, I've never written copy or emails or anything. Like, yeah, but you naturally do it. You know how to persuade. Yeah. I started using that as as a tool for so I, I got into copy at the beginning, obviously, but the products and the sales letters and everything, I, I got into that to to undo acquisition costs. So we made a product in like 2018 and we ran it. And we sent ads to it and we liquidated on it. So this is like, you know, the self-liquidating offers. People don't know what that is. This is like, I, I only recently learned what it was too. <laughs> you put 10 grand, you make 10 grand yeah. and your advertising is, is zero. Yeah. So I was an event, uh, at this event yesterday and I was like, I guarantee I uh, spend the less money in advertising than anybody else here. Even if you spend nothing. Because mm, you make money. All, it's all profitable on the front. And so when you like, you take your book, you take your stacks, you take your things. We have different uh, different products for different types of like psychographics in the market. Somebody who buys a, we have a, a product on teams called eight figure teams. If you buy that product, we're going to assume that you have a team. A team. Like you're, you're rolling. So our sales guys can have some data on like, okay, let's figure out what's going on. Somebody who builds like offer building masterclass, they probably don't have a team. Probably they're probably more getting started based on what they're buying. So we have right now we have 15 or 16 products. We'll, we'll end the year with 20. We'll end next year with 40 to 50. I want as many as I can. Because the more products I have in market, the more data I have on the market. So the the data you get in a survey is very different than the data you get with someone's credit card. Mm. So I'm like, I just it's data enrichment for me. If they buy a book on how to be good at sales, I know exactly what they're looking for. 
even if they wouldn't fill out a survey saying, hey, I'd like to learn more about sales. They just bought a product to get a sale. So I know what they're doing with their money. That's a form of data. Yeah. So what would you say is like, I guess the long-term most valuable thing a market or a business could do? So I guess I'm just asking for me. Really, Marry like, their market. Marry their market. Like obsessively. Like become obsessed with your market. Ogilvy said, um, the customer is not... Uh, the customer is not an idiot. She's your wife. Mm. So it changes how you talk to the customer. Um, so when you get like really, really obsessed with the level of data and detail, do you know Ryan Levesque? No. He came out with this survey funnel thing. It's like the quiz marketing. Yeah. Like a lot of the quizzes you see popped up over the past decade came from him. Okay. And so like you play golf, you ever take one of those quizzes on like golf swings or golf equipment? <laughs> like what's your, what's your, like, <laughs> I don't blah, take blah, blah. any of the quizzes, but I mean, I know. What you know are. what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Like he'll run, he, he's had years where he's run a hundred thousand leads a day. That's crazy. Because they're so cheap because everybody's like filling them out. They use that to basically build a list, build a list and learn about the the market. So we're doing surveys. We do quizzes like we're obsessed with if you're going to be if you're going to prosper as a marketer. You have to become obsessed with all of the miscellaneous details of the market. It's all so data driven. It's data driven. And it's like if you if you like think of how well you know your wife. You got to be that way with your customer. And that requires an obsessive level of data. Yeah. Now it helps you write copy. I'm going to guess we've been married the same amount of years too. Wow. How many years? 10. Oh uh, yeah. We'll be 11 in April. There we go. I'll be 11 in October. How has this ever happened to you before? This is weird. No, no it's weird. It's crazy. Wow. It's weird. But you only have two kids. Two kids. Yeah. So I've got three. Three. Yeah. And one of them's under a year, right? Yeah. So we got yeah. same year on those kids. We're sharing a lot of details. Here. I know. I know. Yeah. No, no income claims. Though. Nope. No claims. No income claims. You too can have three kids if you listen to The Wealthy Way. <laughs> you could. <laughs> I can guarantee you can have three kids because you can adopt. You can. Yeah, exactly. Like, Disclaimer. Yep. Yeah, no promises. Yep. There's always uh, a way. Always a way. Um, well, actually, there's only one way. The Wealthy Way. But <laughs> nonetheless, with... That was a claim. That's but a claim. Cool. There's only one. Well, there's only one way. The way to Jesus. There you go. That's okay. the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. But uh, with marketing and like um, data, like one thing I've struggled with is being a visionary. I'm just like, guys, freaking, I don't know. Just tell me, I'm going to go do stuff and then yeah. you guys clean up the mess, right? Yeah. That's how I've run for many, many years. And now I'm going back in and rebuilding the foundation. And like, <laughs> I'm like, guys, we don't even track like basic KPIs that we should be tracking, right? Yeah. And so we're just like building all these things back out. And now I'm getting like obsessive over the data. And I'm like holding these guys way higher standards of like, guys, I need to know exactly how many leads we got today. How many tickets we sold? What was this? What was that? You know, how, what was the cost per lead? What was the ROAS? What was the upsell? Per, like, I need to know everything. Yeah. And, um, and to me, that's like even still just the first level of like what we should know, not even getting even super granular of what you're talking about. Yeah. Like. How do guys like me who are visionaries that would start a business go that granular in detail? Because there are two sets of just different ways of how people are. Yeah, I think if, if you go into it for too long, you'll just you'll quit. So um, most of the time they don't like how do guys like that go into that level? They don't. A lot of a lot of people who are really, really creative and really visionary. Because uh, I have a lot of those people like that I'm friends with or that are clients, like you have to have like a chief of staff next to you or an operator 
who is obsessed on that. Um, like you're you're never going to be great at the things you aren't that you don't enjoy, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to not be great at the things you love. That's true. Yeah, it will always be true. So the question is not how do I get into doing that when I'm this. The question is who can I get to go into that who likes it and who loves it. So we have two people on our team right now who run all of the details. So I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Like I just want to build and create and I'll throw an event. It starts next week. We have a sold new tickets. We're going to sell some. And, and my team is like, what are you doing? Like, stop it. Like, don't send any more emails tonight. And the way that we have kind of fixed that and have avoided those instances, is like I get all of the numbers that I want every single day, but I don't have to go find them. I get exactly. cash accounts, all of the sales metrics, daily calls, monthly and calls. And that's what I'm building right now, the dashboard. Yeah. Because I'm just like, guys, I just need to see it every day. That's it. That's it. Just let me, give me the numbers I need. That's it. And if the, if, if a great, a great operator or a chief of staff, what they'll do is they, they're, they're going to say, I don't want to change you, but I need about 50% of what we do for the year to be like planned. So we don't, <laughs> exactly. we don't die. But yeah. They're going to give you 50% of margin as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you take away all your margin from a visionary, they're just like, well, what's the point? You know, I'm just going to go start my own thing. Yeah. This it's, sucks. It's too bureaucratic. This is not fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, that, okay. So we're, that's definitely the path that we're 100%. on. Yeah. Um, but problem was I keep hiring visionaries like myself. And so yeah. we're all just, dumb. we're just like, dude, so I figured out, yeah. I figured out a way to fix that. Okay. I found a tool called culture index. Yeah. Have you we heard use, of this? We use, well, I've done culture yeah. and we use predictive. So okay. I know who I'm, I'm hiring. So I just, just am bad about to hire them. Yeah. I'm Got just it. like, maybe, maybe user error. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's user error. I, well, I didn't. I discovered it this year and I was like, oh, oh no, I've been dude. using it for five years. Bro. Yeah. So like I have up. COOs and like, you know, they've done well. Yeah. But the problem is they still lean um, sales driven and, you know, the visionary driven stuff. And that's like obviously who I like hanging out with. And then like when I'm with my detail guys, I'm like, dude, you guys are putting me to sleep. Yeah. But I need them. So if you can think about it this way, there's you have departments that are effective driven and efficient driven. Okay. And then if you flip the box, you have long-term and short-term. And this is how we quadrant out different departments. So like sales, for example, would be effective short-term. Yeah. Make a They're sale right now. Right now. And it's effective because it's like, don't put too many rules on a sales team. Yeah. In fact, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made to circle back to that is I put a COO in charge of the sales uh, rules, commissions, things like that. And the sales team just slowly died. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I, their this job is sucks. just to get, whereas you have finance long-term yeah. efficient. Mm-hmm. And so you have marketing. Marketing is, is uh, effective long-term marketing is yeah. effective. Long-term sales is effective short-term. Mm-hmm. So you have all of the different buckets that you put people in and you just make sure your leaders aren't cross controlling the wrong departments. Cause if you put somebody who is like very, very efficiency driven over marketing, you're not going to have a great experience long-term. Why would you say an efficient person wouldn't be good at marketing? Efficiency is the drive to make things predictive, stable, and as cheap as possible. God, effective is is a deviation from like routine systems to get a certain outcome. Yeah. Okay. So so I've always been like the head of marketing without really even knowing it. Right. I'm like I am the marketing. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with that because I'll do things and they'll be like, oh well that doesn't, you know, we, you know, there's just like all these things. I'm like, you guys don't get it. It's going to freaking work. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't even want to explain it why it's going to yeah. work, but it is. Yeah. 
And I just don't, I, and it's sometimes for me, it's hard to explain why it's going to work. And then, you know, it works. And I'm like, I told you that like, just, just do it next time. Yeah. And figure out how to just repeat it. Yeah. Over and over. Yeah. So you, you take the systems and you be systemic, but then you have, you, you have somebody who's in charge of that as well, who needs to be putting out Jim Collins calls them new bullets, mm-hmm. putting new bullets out to the market to constantly see what works. But you have that too. Yeah. You're, you're a little bit of both hands. Yeah. Um, like, and that's what I was going to ask you. Cause you seem that way too, where you're able to play all sides. Now, obviously you couldn't play it long term, Like, I could not be in the details forever. I can go in there as needed and I'll go in there for a sprint and get it done. And then I'll be like, all right, guys, I need a vacation. Yeah. I'm not looking at this again. Yeah. Until it breaks probably. And then, you know, I can like, I have the ability to do them all. Right. But it seems to me that the best marketers can do both. Like I'm listening to you speak and I'm like, all right, you're speaking in all these details, but clearly you're a visionary because you're a product guy. You're thinking yeah. about all these different offers to go back to Hormozy. I see the same exact thing with him. This guy is a visionary. He's got all these ideas and things. And then, you know, he's also still able to go and understand how to go KPI and, right. and do set the processes. And it just seems they're all that way. Yeah. You have to, you have to have some, some transfer over. I think it comes down to energy. So what, what costs you the most energy details cost me way more energy than, than ideas. Yeah. But then some people, ideas freak them out. <laughs> Coming up with one eye. It's fun. I'll put so it in our job. Like, guys, give me just one. One idea, right? please. And it's exhausting for them. Yeah. But they can go through your metrics all day long. It doesn't really bother them. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's like an energy unit thing. So like we should all be able to go back and forth. But when I'm like stuck into the weeds, it takes so much energy from me. Yeah. That, is, that I can't stay there forever. Yeah. So. That makes sense. Yeah, my natural reaction is to just get frustrated because <laughs> I hate explaining things that seem so common sense and then I have to explain it. And then usually I have to explain it again and again. Yeah. And I'm just like, dude, oh my gosh, I don't know how you don't know this. And then after a while though, I realized I was like, I guess if everyone knew this, then they probably wouldn't work for me. They'd be like yeah. doing their own thing, like killing it. Yeah. Like that, I, I don't know why I think that they wouldn't that makes no sense logically to me now. I'm like, I'm the idiot for thinking that. Was it John Maxwell? He's like, by the time you're you're sick of saying it, people are hearing it for the first time. Yeah. It's like, oh, it makes sense. Like the cult- culture is like so boring to build for a visionary because we're just we're literally doing the same thing over and over and over. Just programming over and over and over. And we're bored and we can't take it anymore. And people are like, Oh, I think that what you're saying is this. You're like, Yeah, for nine months I've been saying that. <laughs> Yes, thank you. <laughs> please write it down next time <laughs> you know, thank you for that but it's so true right? it's it clicked like, yeah it finally clicked and yeah it's story of my life yeah much. okay all right so that's going to continue to happen all right yeah 100 percent. I mean, <laughs> once you get people underneath you it makes it a lot easier because then they have to they do it and you don't have to yeah but even them it's the same story it's going to be the same thing <laughs> like, it's going to be the same thing you've been here how long okay all right yeah with our marketing teams right now, like, so we used to have really, really big marketing teams. Yeah. Probably like 15 full-time on marketing, 50 on sales, 30 or 40 on like operations, CS, things like that. Right now, our marketing team is the smallest because everyone is actually properly placed. So this is what I learned too, is like when you get the right, is there's, there's the person, the position and the version. Okay. So you have the right person in the right position. That's the right person on the right seat. But then you get the right version 
of the person, which is like think about the right compensation, right coaching, right culture, like all of those things. You can take a great person, put them in a bad system, and even if they're in the right position, they'll fail mm. because the system around them is not designed for them to have autonomy or creativity. And so our marketing team is staffed perfectly to the personality. So we use culture index. We go through and the head of marketing is somebody who loves the details. They're very efficiency driven, but they have a little bit of a flair of creativity. So they can go on both sides. Yeah. And then we've got a copywriter. We've got a couple media buyers in place. The copywriters are obviously creative. Very creative. Miss yep. every deadline that you can think of. <laughs> they don't know how to tie their own shoes. Yeah. Um, but they really love sitting in a dark room by themselves writing copy. Let me ask you about media buying and like just media buyers in general. Like to me, okay, so I never even bought a Facebook ad myself. Like I said, like I'm, I'm new to the whole game. I was just like, yeah, all right, you know what? I'm just going to learn it. Just, it's obviously a very important skill. I'm tired of outsourcing it all the time and just beating my head. Yeah. So, okay, what do we do? And the more I looked into it, I'm like, the act of media buying itself does not seem very difficult. I'm like, it, the ad and the offer and the copy is what matters. Am mm-hmm. I wrong? It's both because that speaks to your energy as well. Yeah. Um, the reason that I think that it doesn't look difficult is because it's all underneath in the data. So it's like data science. You're clicking buttons, but a really good media buyer is actually like a, you can pull them off of Wall Street. Pull a financial analyst off of Wall Street, teach them media buying, they'll crush it. Because they're just looking at the audiences. All they're doing is looking at the numbers. And it's so algorithmic now that like even the copy and creative, if you you take like, it takes somebody off the street, they've never literally, they've never written copy in their life and just say, write me 400 ads. Just do it. A good media buyer will make one of them work. Yeah. Because the combination and the algorithm is just churning through them. Well, and that's what I'm getting at is that I guess is media buying way easier now because Facebook does the heavy lifting for you. Yeah, it's way easier now. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of my point. I'm like, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, all right, so we're just going to upload our audience and just uh, pick the 1%. Or, yeah. And the only people who disagree with that are media buyers. I know, that, that's what I'm but, getting at. I'm like, yeah. it's there. I think even I could do it now. As long as they can count, <laughs> and, like run a spreadsheet. Should be. Okay, so what, easy. okay, back to the, then my, what am I missing then? Uh, Maybe the counting piece. I don't know. The spreadsheet, maybe the data. Like maybe, maybe, it's, maybe you're not missing anything, but the personality that thrives in that is it's data it's not data. your pos- personality, I don't think. No, 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 not at all. No, you would be better doing the ads. Yeah, but nobody, I guess, you were, would you find a good media buyer who they themselves are also good at copy and data or they're just two separate people? They're very rare. They're rare. They're very so rare. So I just need a data media buyer and I already got my creative you people. You have a creative people and they work together. So like right now, um, like our head media buyer, who's like a, a ridiculous human being. Like he's he, just a nerd. He's a nerd. He he actually comes from finance. Weird. Um, he like I want to tell you the companies that he runs media for, but I can't until after because he's under an NDA. Okay, but it's like five hundred million a year in spend. Oh, so you outsourced spend? Him. I partnered him in. Okay, so he's a partner now of all of our brands, and he invented a tool and partnered into the software where we have access to basically credit data. Okay. From the the big three. And we can build lookalike audiences of anybody, but I'll take my customers, we'll put them into a customer set. We'll say, I want everybody like this, but they drive Teslas. Mm. And we'll get a hundred thousand people pop out. Wow. And then we can basically use that as lookalikes and 
hash them into the platforms. But all I basically found him and he's not a great copywriter and he's not a great marketing, like full stack. He just loves media. I was like, I want every person that buys media for me to be trained by you. So I'm gonna make you a partner. Mm. Like never go anywhere. Everybody's gonna get trained by you. Because that that skill is so niched. I can I can create copywriters like every day of the week, but I can't create that person who knows how to look at the data the way they it's like the matrix. When you're, <laughs> you're reading the matrix, you're like, yeah, that's it. You just like, like this is a winning combination. Yeah. How do you know that? Because it's at, it's add four dot seven seven one dot two four yeah paired with dot two three and I'm like dude just don't talk to me. Before it used to be like that meme where you, I think it's Zach Galifianakis and he's got like all the the numbers and like the signs around him. Just you ever seen that the no. gif? Oh, you haven't seen that? Uh, oh, 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 the funny one. Yeah, where he's confused. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that's me when I was originally like it, and then now me is like, wait a minute, this actually is not that hard. Yeah. Um. But that's how I feel about everything when I finally, I guess for me, when it clicks, yeah, because like social media and stuff before I did it, I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's like a lot of work. And Are you I, buying your ads now? You're doing all your ads now? We're, we're like for the first time ever messing around with it. Nice. Yeah. How's it going? It's good. Like we nice. filled these workshops and different things. Oh, like, dude, just bring it in hustle and easy. So I was going to ask you that um, with media buying. What I have found is that like uh, up to this point, we've just always outsourced. They're like, hey, we'll just hire this company and whatever. Right. And every time we do it, we inevitably like it never is like long lasting. And everyone I ever talked to is like, oh, yeah, like eventually, you know, it's in house. And somebody finally made it click for me where he was like, well, think about it, Ryan. You can't find a good CMO because guess what? They're already running their own eight figure thing. The best of the best have their own thing. Kind of like what you were saying with that guy. And uh, I really thought about it and I was like, that does make sense. Why would somebody work for me for a hundred grand, two hundred grand, like if they were that good? That doesn't make any sense. I think I'm just probably gonna have to learn it. <laughs> like I don't. It doesn't make sense. And then like the best of the best want equity in your company because essentially that's Hormozzi's model of like, okay, you want to know what I know because I'm the best. Give me your company. Yeah, I just partner them in at this point. Yeah, I'll just partner him in. If somebody's really that good. Yeah. There's three people right now who um I was like, hey, I'm I'm gonna pay you, but I'll, I don't think that I want to pay you as much as you want. So how about you just take a percent, a couple percent points? Um, because that way they feel like they have ownership. But I will say that like if your vision is is and this isn't like this is speaking to me as well as to you, like people respond to vision first, comp second. Yeah. So I'm like, dude, one of our businesses is um, it's called the arena and it's, it's mental mindset programming and training. And the mission for arena is I want to, I want to deprogram suicide out of society. Ooh, I got people working for me for free. They don't even care. Yeah. If, if it's big enough, you yeah. know, they're in. And then some people just the personality. It's an emotional like, paycheck. hundred percent. Yeah. They feel like I'm going to bed doing something good Yeah, for the world. Um, but dude, I just honestly, I partner them in now because I'm like, you're so good that I would rather have your full investment because when somebody has equity, like what you're buying from them is not their skills. It's the, when they're in the shower at night before bed and they have an idea, is that idea for your business or is it for one of their other projects? Mm -hmm. You want it to be for yours. Yeah. That's what you're buying when you have a partner. Yeah. So like, they're always thinking about what are we building together? Mm -hmm. Not what am I building for Ryan? 
Exactly. You know? Yeah. And that's, it's, it's kind of saying the same thing, right? Because like the best people I have found, they either would need to be partnered in or they're already got like their own big thing going. So like yeah. even partnering doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Um, and so it's just like, that is what it is. Right. And then the, the people who are looking for jobs and stuff, you're just like, yeah, I mean, like it's basically, they're going to have to learn from us to be able to, to get us to the next, like, it's just going to have to be developed within. Yeah. You never know though. Like even what you're saying about, they already have their own thing. It wouldn't make sense. I mean, dude, when you find like somebody like you has like, if you have no idea what you're going to turn into, it's probably gonna be pretty big though. You can harvest that because mm-hmm. people want to be around you. Yeah. You know? And Oh, and I, I, I guess, let me take that back. Like I've had lots of partnership opportunities and things and everything else. I guess just on the the media buying side specifically, it's been a interesting journey for me. Yeah. Um, because like other things, like I founded a tax firm and we sold that. We, you know, I've I've partnered up with many different people, like, you know, especially podcast guests who have great like, dude, we wanna like have you like partner and do this. So it's like it happens all the time. And now I have to be very selective on how I wanna distribute my own time and bandwidth and energy, right? Same yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like, what am I th- what ideas am I thinking about? Is it for their business or yeah. some of mine? So it's it's the same process, right? Dan told me to tell you that you're doing too much. Okay. And I looked at Dan and I was like, How many things are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and what did Dan say? He didn't say anything. He was just like, ah, he's my he's I love him. He's a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> I love Dan. He had a, he had a blast, I guess, hanging out with you. Yeah, dude. He's like, yeah, tell him he's doing too much. Yeah. Dan Martell, for those who don't know, we we have a blast every time we talk. Dude, his book is is like uh I have people who I hire and force them to read his book before they mm-hmm. before they start. Dude, I'll tell you the funny story about Dan. So, we had a bunch of I had a bunch of I didn't know who he was and I had a bunch of people like saying, "Hey, you should have Dan on your show. You should have Dan. He's going to he just launched a book. He's, you know, he's coming to Vegas." I was like, "I don't know who this guy is." Like people ask to be on the show all the time. Like I, yeah. my first reaction is always no. Yeah. Like cuz I would think I would know him if I just like really wanted yeah. him. So anyways, I, uh, finally, one of my friends, actually Pete Vargas. Nice. Finally, Pete group Texas. He's like, Ryan, you're an idiot. You have to meet Dan <laughs> and bring him in. I was like, all right, if Pete says so, I'll bring him in. Yeah. And you know, so Dan comes in once again, I still don't really know about him. I'm like, so Dan, like, what do you do? It's like, oh, you know, exited this company for nine figures and that company for nine figures and this and that. And I'm like, Okay. I have not done that. So let me see what we can learn here. Yeah. And then like by the end of it, I was like, okay. Um, so like, how do we do more stuff? And then just like, we became buds and then we went to like all these other things. And so, yeah. Did you text he's him? Great. He's here today. He gets in later, I think for the, for the race. I'm going to hit him up or something. He's here for something. I'm going to hit him up. And um, and by the way, Dan's jacked and he, he told the story of how he used to be a fat kid. And I was like, yeah. you used to be fat. Like a fat gamer guy. Yeah. Like that was his thing. We were at this, the event and Jake, the guy running all of our media comes back to our hotel room afterwards. And he said, you know what I noticed? I said, what? And I think he's going to be like, Dan said this, or you said this. And it was awesome. It was, we're co-doing the event. And uh, he said, Dan's ripped <laughs> and his video guys ripped and we're not. <laughs> and I said, no one will ever say that to me again. And I was like, I'm going straight to the gym. Wait, wait till you go hang out with my boy Andy Elliott. Andy okay. Elliott, dude, I followed him just for the first time the other day. Okay. Of, have you heard of Michael Burt? 
Coach Burt. Coach Burt. That's Dan introduced me to Coach Burt too. Uh, so yeah, Coach Burt's also he's in Nashville. Yeah, he's speaking at the next event. Nice. Yeah. So I saw Coach Burt's actually the one who made me traditionally publish. Oh. He was like, Ryan, you need to bit. think about it. And I was like, all right, whatever. Did he traditionally publish? Yes. Oh. Have and, you seen his building? That he's building? Uh, he showed me it, yeah. Sick. Yeah, Coach dude. Burt's the man. He's by the way, you want to come to WealthCon and see Coach Burt? He is doing a private jet bringing people to WealthCon. There you go. So you guys, you know, I mean, you coming from Nashville, you could private jet to WealthCon. And I'll shake your hand before you get on the jet. If you guys want to come to Nashville, <laughs> so I'll throw my bonus in there. Yep. Yep. There you go. We, uh, yeah, Coach Burt's great. That's who Dan introduced. Dude, once again, Dan's so funny. He, he voice texts. He's like, hey, Ryan, this is Coach Burt. You got to have him on the show, man. And he's like, I just started following him. I like don't even really know a ton about what he does, but dude, his stuff's great. Yeah. And then, you know, a week later, me and Coach Burt are having fun. There you go. But, but yeah, Andy Elliott, I saw him from him and I was like, I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, Andy's and, uh, been on the show a couple times. And so I, I knew Andy before he really blew up. And um, it's so funny now because literally two days ago, I had his trainer in here. His trainer is Seal or no, oh, Marine. God. His name's Aaron. Dude, crazy big. And uh, we were just talking about fitness and all this stuff. And so it's funny. Like, if you think Dan and his guy are jacked, then like we'll, we'll, we'll have Andy and Aaron yeah. too. Let me get ready for it first. Yeah. So it's very different than like, you know, you two or me and my 16 year old counterpart, Austin. Yeah, you're doing great, man. Yeah. So we, you know, I'm trying to get jacked like Andy and Aaron. So that's what he's just like, no one will ever call me fat again after my (laughs) camera guy did. I'm like, you're done, dude. Like, you're the guy who sees me the most and you think I'm fat. We're done. We're done. Like, I'm going to the gym. Get out of my room. We're gonna film it though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We <laughs> We're gonna on the film Instagram. the transformation. <laughs> oh man! Hey, Crazy. I, I know you got to catch a flight though, man. I could talk for another hour, but uh, guys, if you think Taylor should be on again, comment down below because we didn't even talk into like all the other things I wanted to discuss. But um, dude, I appreciate you and. Uh, I'm glad that I guess we're kind of like brothers, basically. We were the same. Yeah, we have like yeah. eight, all the similar. We look the same, everything. Yep. So it's it's been good to meet you finally, and I'm looking forward to everything else we do, man. You're the man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, guys, we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. I work at the office from nine to five, Monday through Thursday. This is the lifestyle by design that I want to live. There are people who will be like, yeah, I'll work 80 hour weeks. And it's like, all right, well, let's see how long you can do it before you burn out. Let's see how long you can do it before your health deteriorates. Let's see how long you can do it before you lose your marriage.